and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's week one, it's finally here, and we've got some real football to talk about this week. The visit of the Colts Liberty Whiteout weekend at NRG Stadium, the return of a team who took us to the woodshed a couple of times with an almost 60 point differential so there's a lot to go in the Texans favour but to preview that and preview the season uh, we've got a returning guest uh, Mr Graham Henderson. Graham how you doing? Yeah I'm doing fine thanks how's you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, looking forward to some real football. I think it's after the draft that sort of time period of waiting for it to come around I think it's been it's been a long one so yeah no looking forward to seeing all the iterative improvements, I think, that the t- team have made, in which they have definitely done that. Looking forward to seeing how that shows up in the field and and where that where that sits, you know, in true league circles. So yeah, no, nah, I think it'll be good. How's your off season been? Uh, and what's your kind of mood as we're in? Um, one? It, it, like you said, it's been long. It's felt a very long overdue to get to the season. Um, tried my best with obviously busy life schedule to keep in, in touch with what's going on in like training camp and stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, I've not been able to watch any of the preseason games, but it's almost been a good thing because we keep getting wins, you know, we keep making improvement, but I've been catching up with the, the fallout from that, you know, just with a busy life schedule, but I'm, I'll be 100% committed to watching uh, from Sunday on, you know, no problem. Yeah, well, I think that on a different time zone, it's difficult, I think, to uh, to try and you know watch all of these games. I sort of caught with them a lot of the day after. A lot is back up. A lot of it's not necessarily transferable into what you'll see week one on that opening kickoff, whether it be special teams, offense, or defense. But certainly this week, um, I just want to thank everybody for sending in their questions and uh, really kind of taken back by the response. So. Thank you very much. Some came in before asking and some coming in after. So um, we'll try our best to rattle through them as we tee up the season. I think it feels like we've talked a lot of the potential storylines to death. So good for other people to set the content, set the direction, and we'll take it from here. So the first one was from D Lloyd uh, via Instagram, and he said, how would you rate Nick Caserio to this point, Graham? Uh, I, I think he's done a good job, uh, personally. Uh, he's, he's taken a lot of time to to maybe get rid of a lot of the, the dead wood, as some people would call it, or like the bad moves that the previous regime made. I, I'm maybe just speaking for myself there on that, but I think there's only like two guys left from previous, like Bill O'Brien, like draft picks and stuff. You know, he's been he's been doing a job to make it his team, and I think some of the moves he's made have been. You know they've they've been out there, but he's 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 trying to really put a stamp on his team, and I think that translates into all through the building. I think there's a different vibe coming out of the organisation just now, and I think a lot of that is to to reconnect with the city of Houston and the Houston Texans fan base as well. So I think he's he's, he's been juggling a lot of issues that weren't necessarily his issues, but he's he's coming and I think he's done a good job. Yeah, I, I read an article today actually in the Houston Chronicle from Bruce Cabina. Um, worth reading if you've not read it already. 
talking about just general fan engagement. I wrote an article this week on podcasttexans.com just looking at all the, the various facets of the franchise from ownership to front office leadership, coaching staff, emerging young talent and star players. And we're in different spots from all of them, apart from the last one, I think, or where it needs to be, and that takes time. But yeah, you're right, there is a huge fundamental sea change I think in just the general self-awareness of the club and everything like that so I think yeah Nick's played his big, a big part in that a professionalism I think stabilised the ball club in a way that has meant it's earned a level of respectability that we definitely lost I think the the fact that Jack Easterby has been kicked to the sidelines that is nowhere to be seen now I think is is a huge thing even if it's even if it's only symbolic on a surface level from what we can see I think that makes a huge difference and it goes back to that self-awareness thing I think and Casario to this point to answer uh, Deloitte's question there for me the salary cap and I'll always have criticisms of them it won't be till next year that we'll be you know, some of it was inherited, some of it was self-made, some of it's you know overspended on guys who don't really make much of a difference on a Sunday and you could carry that money over into future years. We've only got circa 56 million cap with only sort of 20, 30 players under contract. So he's going to struggle to fit a 92-man roster and then get under the 53-man rule by the time we get to September next year. That's going to be a little bit of a struggle. So there'll be no big spending this year. I think that number was misquoted when Caseri was talking about two years in a row in the sort of spheres that he looks at. That. So next year is going to be you know incremental improvements again and just by the way he's positioned it. But I think in, in, in terms of his talent evaluation, I think everything looks rosy right now. I mean, it's certainly robust in terms of build, building that talent base that we that was just completely removed from so many missed draft picks. Obviously, we've seen Blacklock, Sharpen, etc. go out last week, and um, and for the right reasons, I think they just weren't up to scratch and where we need them to be, both positions, but both premium picks, Lonnie Johnson gone as well. So, you know, he, he didn't have much to work with last year. I think you can write off, apart from the David Cully thing, which I think is inexcusable, and you'll always have that on his resume, salary cap here and there. But I think to this point, uh, we'll see, but I, I I would reserve judgment for Nick until the end of next year because if we're in a position there where we're looking interesting, then fine. But this was always going to be the first year. Last year was a throwaway just by the the circumstances, the the Sean Watson stuff, etc. And the the Sean Watson trade obviously was the biggest thing he's done to this point. And I I think it was reasonable. Could you got more perhaps? Um, but he valued clarity, um, uncertainty, and I think people just wanted to get under the rut, but. Um, I'm I'm pretty you know I think it was a shrewd hire I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I'd 100% agree. So perhaps the I'd probably describe him the third most important person um, in this organisation this year, and it's going to just be refreshing as hell to watch a new offence. Now, I don't necessarily think if you watch back his tape when he coached Andrew Luck and he called plays for Andrew Luck and he called him in college and then he brought him into Indianapolis. It wasn't great times and if anybody's listened to the podcast about this chronicling Andrew Luck, I suggest you do if you've not listened to that, it's just called Luck from the Athletic. There's a couple of snippets in there about, you know, I'm calling 48 passes when he knew Andrew was injured in a game and things like that and there's a lot to prove but, you know, people develop over time and I'm willing to give, you know, Pep the the benefit of the doubt. He's certainly probably one of the more coveted names on the coaching staff, certainly that Lovey's brought in since he's higher. Um, but uh, Purple City asked, how much faith do you have in the Pep Hamilton offence? Um, and does and does he have more up his sleeve? And I think I, I know from people speaking in, there's a lot, what you can put on the on the record and what you can't put. But a lot of people I do speak to off the record, I think they're, they're, they've seen enough to be enthused by 
the personnel that he's going to run out there. I think he writes a lot of pistol formations, um, which is a little bit kind of different. That's sort of the intermediate point of the quarterback being between the shotgun under centre. He's run a lot of 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. Um, that was a big part of getting OG Howard in uh, because basically they just didn't have enough blockers to try and run that system. They want to run play action off that. They want to get a full back in there. Troy Harrison's made the roster as an undrafted free agent. So it's going to look completely different. And even if it's not that great, I think it'll be refreshing to watch an offense that under Tim Kelly got really stale, Graham. Yeah, it, it, it did get stale. But I think um, with with Pat Hamilton, from from what I've seen in, in the sources I look at, is he was he was purposely keeping the preseason offense like very shrewd and very undercover, not wanting to show too much of his hand what they've been working on. I know, um, I I know there was that one article that I read that Davis Mills is very excited about what they've got to show, what they haven't shown yet, and. You know that that's good to hear and refreshing to hear. It could all just be bluster, um, just to get a bit of hype in the fans and stuff. But I, I do believe there is more that we haven't seen yet from this offense, and I am excited to see it. And if we can get that run game established by you, know, you were saying there, you know, getting in the extra blockers and that that goes a huge way to making your your team more effective. I think in in, in today's game. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, it's it's a bit of a, a sort of throwback old school to bring a fullback on. Teams have ran, or a lot of teams in the league don't carry one. But for the position that Mills is in, relatively unexperienced, if he doesn't have a running game, um, he's certainly not shown enough that he's just going to, you know, basically through, through caution to the wind, just say that we're going to throw it 40, 45 times a game. That's not the formula to succeed um, for Davis, in which we'll come on to because we've got a lot of questions about Davis. But certainly the running game is key and there's a couple of things we'll come on to that as well. Um, but the next question we've got uh, is from Matt Reed, who sent one in. He said, who's going to be the standout rookie, uh, second year player and free agent? So who's your rookie, Graham, that would be the standout uh, for you this year? I, I reckon, if, I, th- I think he was named as RB1, is it Damien Pierce? Yeah. was named RB1, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think if, if he translates his preseason games and in, in production of what he did do in preseason, I think it's going to be hard not to look at him as a standout rookie. Uh, well, 10 to 1 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, uh, I saw today. Um <laughs> With a bet, a bookmaker. Not that we yeah. necessarily encourage gambling, but I think interesting. Um, both him and Derek Stingley were both ten to one, uh, with he said bookmaker today, which I thought was reasonably short, particularly for Stingley, but it's so hard to win it. Um, on the defensive side, when you're not a sack artist, you know you're going to have to yeah. rack up numerous interceptions to do that. But yeah, Damien, I think could be the biggest breath of fresh air. Pat goes back to the Pep Hamlin question. I think. He's certainly going to have a lot of pressure on him and he's certainly not going to hide in places and he's certainly not got much quality behind him to relieve him. There's probably no, you know, it's, you know, there's the depth chart comes out and it's, you know, what's the start of running back? You know, you don't want him to have more than 15 carries every week because you, you want him to be fresher as the season yeah. goes on. You don't want to, he sits, uh, particularly when he was, you know, sub, you know, a th- or around the thousand carry mark a year in a very much truncated college schedule. So he's going to play more games this year. He's already played in preseason. He's already had a training camp. So I hope they're, they're careful with him because certainly it's all there. And I think he's certainly stolen the imagination of a lot of people. Now, they could build up to hype and he could not necessarily live up to that. But certainly, you know, 
if you can find fourth, fifth round gems on your roster, it starts to fill out a hell of a lot quicker than it does without that. So touch wood, um, they, they be careful with them. It's a season where not everyone's on the line. You want to ease them into it. Don't put too much pressure on them too early. Let the kid have realistic expectations. But he's certainly the best running back on this roster, which is not saying a lot when you've got Rex Burkhead and Darion Gobali. Um, and we've just signed Doak, uh, the former Cincinnati seven-round pick from Miami. Um, Paul Quesenberry came off the practice squad roster. So, you know, they're probably not quite sure what they've got at running back, but certainly Pierce, when he's in there, certainly looks like he runs... Angry runs, you know, and he's quick as well. That change of direction that you saw in that San Francisco game where he bounced off a guy and then just cut an angle into the space was pretty elite in terms of that sort of burst. So it's kind of exciting to actually finally have a running back since Adrian yeah, Foster. We've never replaced him. A, yeah. Yeah, we've not had that for a lot of years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been a, a big, big gaping hole. And the misuse I talked about last week, you misusing Lamar Miller, etc. We never ever really filled that hole. So yeah, I think rookie for me, absolutely second year player. I suppose you've got. I suppose if we put Mills aside, because we'll talk about him. I suppose from Nico Collins, Garrett Wallow, Roy Lopez, um, <clears throat> is your and Brevin Jordan's the only kind of. Yeah, uh, I, Michael I, Do- I, Michael Dwomer for as a second year player, but wasn't drafted by us, so yeah, count him as Roy well. Lo- but yeah, Roy Lopez for me. Yeah. Um, he, he's obviously worked hard in the off season. You know, he come back leaner and fitter. You know, he, that that's a guy who wants to come and work, and I, and I think that'll translate this year. Um, I I just I just like the guy, you know. Yeah, well, he he like in the same way, and I look at it. I think when you're when you're going to go through tough times, you kind of need a bit of this, and it's a bit fluffy. But in the same way that Lovey encapsulates what a Texans head coach should be. Um, I think Roy Lopez really represents the city, um, the Hispanic fan base really well. Um, he is a completely um, jump beyond expectations of a six-round pick out of Arizona, not a big programme, wrestling background, etc., etc. But some of his tape um, towards the end of the year was, was pretty excellent. Um, so if he can take that jump, and you need the guys to take that jump, and I think that that's a big, big plus. Um, I think Brevin Jordan needs to, to sort himself out and he's had yeah. some bad drops and he, he needs to be that sort of, you know, move tight end that can that can make space in short areas, create matchup problems against safeties and linebackers and get you easy downs. Obviously, I think the big one's Nico Collins because if he's not there, the pressure on Brandon Cooks is massive. So Nico has to show what he's shown in training camp to this point. Um, particularly last year, I know he got injured in Cleveland. It wasn't his fault, and then he took a while to get back, and he started to look like there uh, preseason against the 49ers. I thought he had a good get, you know, he had that good get up and go catch in the end zone against the Rams and stuff. So yeah, he's got to really pull out the bag, and, and actually for his frame and size and supposed physicality, he needs to be dominant at the point of attack and go up and grab the thing at the air because if he doesn't do that, then you know what is his skill, and I think that's got to be him. But I think you know he's got to be a relief guy for. Cooks. Yeah, yeah. You see me there pointing at the eighty behind this. You know that's, that's kind of his how he's got to start playing his game is is kind of shadowing what eighty used to do for us. You know, yeah. Be that big physical wide receiver and that. So yeah, yeah. hopefully Nico can make the jump as well. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. And I think you know Andrew Johnson's been out there, not been shy about kind of coaching him up and. 
um, from training camp. So I think he's he's definitely one there. And free agent. This is a bit more of a trickier one, but of the free agent signings, um, standout. I think for that one, uh, Ogo Okoronko, just from a speed edge rusher. I think if you're a kind of if you're not sitting torching yourself every down every week, I think you'll flash just because he's a speed rusher and you'll you'll get clips and a lot of people tend to like that. You know, Jacob Martin was liked far beyond what his play would suggest um, that, that he was like. But I think he'll definitely definitely bring in... They didn't spend really any money. I think if you want somebody to come in and be effective and justify money, I mean, their big ultimate free agent sign, it was AJ Cannon, right guard. So if he comes in as solid and you don't notice him, you know, t- nine plays out of ten, um, unless it's something positive, then I think that's probably one for me. Have you got any free agents that you're excited about? I mean, it well, wasn't a big class this year. But... It wasn't really... We'd, we'd be classing OJ Howard in there, wouldn't we? Yeah, you know, yeah, I would say so, yeah. You know, like, he, he could potentially be, depending on if he can get an uptick in his play, uh, just because our tight end class hasn't been the greatest either for a few years now. Yeah, well, it's the worst position Brown of the team, I think. Yeah. You know, like, Pharaoh Brown has flashes being a physical, like, tight end in that, but we, we need more consistency in that position. And and he might give us that. So, um, for me, the, the one I'm hoping... Turns out to be a good, good signing for us on the, on the three agencies. Um, definitely OJ Howard because we need that tight end group to, to really step up. You know, there's been a few years we've been devoid of even having them as backup. Yeah, I think if you can come in and do a service or blog or service or blo- um, job at blocking, easy for me yeah. to say. I think then it's it, that that's probably what you, that's probably the parameter of success for me because I mean he he, he lost his job ultimately in Buffalo to an undrafted rookie. And a late round draft pick. Um, they took him over him. Uh, you know, some cap reasons. He's getting some money from Buffalo. We were paying him the minimum. He, he ends up picking up three and a three point two five million this year. So he's a guy that's never lived up to his potential. So if he can give you sort of 60 percent of that, he's definitely probably an improvement on you know relying on Fadal Brown. But you really want him and Brown to be out there. You know, on either side of the formation, or on the both yeah. side of the formation, you know, and goaling, goal to goal sort of situations. And I think if he can be serviceable, looking, I saw that clip on running. He doesn't look that fluid, to be honest, um, at training at, and, and the practice this week. So yeah, I think he, yeah, he could. He's one of those guys. That, yeah, it's it's always a cliche of uh, low risk, high payoff. But Caseri was reserved in his comments. He said, we've not got much committed to him. He's a good player. I think Lovey was higher, and I think it was more of a Lovey move. Uh, but I think Pep's obviously been, you know with the, the failed trade uh, for Adam Shaheen that came over from Miami, failed physical, cancelled. They were obviously looking for one. So he may do it, but if he does, if he if he does if he's not active on week one, it wouldn't surprise me. And if he gets cut at this at some point in the season as well, it wouldn't surprise me. But if he is a plus for us, then it's going to be a big plus for this offense. Um certainly maybe not a long term solution, but certainly one for that. So right. Now we've got a, a raft of Mills questions. So if we don't answer everybody's uh, but Kiwi Texans, Texans, Sweden, Gareth Gordon, Paul Lambert, uh, all asked uh, a, a variety of questions on that one. Um, and we got another couple um, today, UK or Texans underscore UK sent as one as well. Um, in terms of, to summarise, Graham, I think, is, is he, what's a successful season for Mills? Um, and how, how, how much time do you give him? Um, to either prove he is the guy or he isn't the guy is probably the summation of the questions. 
I, I think he's he's really, he's under a lot of scrutiny. You know, he, he kind of got thrown in with the whole Deshaun Watson situation last year, where a lot of people are almost giving him like this this whole, this one year window as this like the main starter. It's like he gets this, and he if he if he doesn't deliver like even the playoffs, I feel then people are going to be on his back, which is a lot of pressure for the young guy. You know, he didn't have a lot of football coming in last season. You know, like, he didn't have a lot of college football. Then he came in to, to a bad franchise last season. He he did okay. Most of his numbers, you probably agree, came in in garbage time games, probably. You know, yeah, a fair, a fair percent. I've never actually worked at the exact percentage, but yeah, it feels like you know there must 30, be a lot. 30, 40 percent, yeah. Rams game, Seattle game, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so um I'd like to give him this year and next without putting too much pressure on him. I think a successful season for him um would be hard to say, like if if you rate it on a wins. Or or how he plays, sort of style. Like if if he if it's like a a six six seven win season, is that because of Mills or is it because the whole team's improved? You know, like his his, his yards. Like I seen him one of the questions: Will he hit four thousand yards? No, I I don't see him hitting four thousand yards. Yeah, um, it's funny because yeah. Because he did what was he, he was two thousand six hundred odds, two thousand seven hundred, just shy yeah. of I think last year. In ten games or eleven games, so yeah. you know, if you do seventeen per game, not far off it. But I think there's there's definitely a couple of fallacies. I think I think for me, well, one thing is a pet hate of mine, and I hope people just drop this <laughs> into the season is saying, well, he was the best rookie quarterback. Like, well, okay, but like none of those guys were particularly good. So therefore, what does that mean um, yeah. in the grand scale? But okay, I know people will always be kind of classed within their. In, in their class that they come in with so they'll always be compared to a point but ultimately we play in the National Football League we don't play against the rookie class every year and that's the only team you play against you play against the best of the best so the best of the best is the only thing that matters whether he was you know the fourth best rookie or the or the, or the worst out of all the guys that came in it's kind of irrelevant now you're in season two because that's done now it's a sophomore season so like I hope people just drop that a little bit I think that the, there is a bit of a fallacy in terms of the end of season rise because if you as I said and people kind of dismiss this and I've heard other people pick, pick up this comment as well that I've made that if you watch the San Francisco game they didn't drive the ball once in that game the only time they got a touchdown at Brandon Cooks was two big penalties and so that's that's like the kind of barometer of where you need to be against an elite front four um, of a good defence um, that carries a team so, you know, and I know it's year one, so it's almost like all that stuff, there was some highs, there was lows of pitting screen passes in the dirt, not being able to put up a point, not being able to drive at San Francisco. Both performances against Indianapolis, well, well only one was him, but um, and, the, and, the, and he came on for Tyrod as well, so it's probably not fair against Indianapolis. So, bit of a fresh slate against Indy. And it's a fresh slate this season. I almost think you can almost dis- dispel everything you've seen up to this point and just yeah. say, this is your, this, because he was so inexperienced, so there was going to be growing pains. He was thrust into it after Tyrod got injured in week two in Cleveland when he pulled his hamstring when he scored that touchdown. And at that point, we looked okay. So I think. What can you do from here on in as a player in this league? Have they done the most to surround them with pass catchers? 
not really know have they done have they has he got a, you know an upper tier line in front of him potentially but we'll see um but certainly on paper and how much they've played together they've not played together and that's cohesion is so important at that at that spot so on that alone i think it's important to remember that last year was going to be messy so this year he's had a full training camp he's had everything now so long as it's if it's respectable i think is one thing. Now, Gareth Gordon sent in a message, Graham, today, actually, and he okay. said, what would people rather, would they want it Mills to improve this year and take us to maybe six or seven wins with a lower first-round pick, or Mills fails and we get a top-three pick again and restart with a higher-rated college pick? What would you prefer out of those two? Uh, I There's no saying that even if Mills plays well this season, we're not going to go that way. Yeah, yeah. So, really... I would like to see Mill. Excuse me. I like to see Mills take the step, push on. You know, his, his Mills's growth might be part and parcel with Damian Pierce's impact on the team. You know, how many times have you seen a quarterback come on leaps and bounds with confidence because he knows he's got a run game that he can rely on? So I would like to see him do well. I can still see the Texans if there's a if, if there's a really good. Uh, quarterback prospect there and Nick usually picks the best player on the board you know if they are available he might still pick them and then that means we've got a really good backup to work on as well it, it, the QB project could be a couple of years again for us you know so I, I would like him to to, to have a, a successful season you know I want to give him this year on next year I totally agree with you the tape starts now on him the film starts now since it's his team um, so yeah I want him to do well and well that's all I can really say is uh, I'm, I'm on Mills to do well let's let, like get him behind him and stuff so yeah I'm quite passionate about that as well yeah, no, I, I think as well. No, I mean, I think everybody wants him to do well because ultimately, if he shows this year that he can be a, a solid game manager at, at worst and see you through games, not lose you games, potentially win you a few, um, then the whole complexion of who you pick and how you build and who you sign changes instantly. And it puts almost you your in contention to at least make a splash next year. Whereas I think the real. Yeah. The real, you know, the real timelines are probably 2024 by the time we kind of in a position where we're kind of up clean slate in terms of salary cap and in terms of, you know, getting draft picks in the in the building and get them to develop, you know. So, we're, you know, what's we'll he John Mechie till next year for the first time, for example. So, you know, it's going to take a while for it all to come together. Uh, just this being the first year of having, you know, premium picks. Um, being able to you know go and sign some players that you want to so yeah I think everybody would prefer him because he obviously he's going to be cheaper than a first round pick um, he, he's now been in the building he's he's tied to his coaching staff he's tied to Pep Hamlin so you know there's a lot riding on him particularly in the coaching staff because they've hitched their wagons to, him, to a degree I just always question whether Nick Casario when he's you know you don't get many second GM jobs in this league will he hitch his wagons will he put his name next to Davis Mills if he's not sure yeah. and and, it, and I think it, we tread such a fine fine balance as you Graham I think of being out of the running for a top pick and kind of being sure what he is and you know he might have a decent touchdown um, to interception ratio. We might win seven or eight games. I don't see it, but it could happen if it all goes well. I think, 
and you're kind of sitting there bubbling just on the edge of relevance, relevancy. That could happen this year. I don't think it will, but that could happen if he if he translates his game to a level of just un- unrivaled accuracy, ruthless in terms of, of passing, decision-making, checking the line of scrimmage, setting the protections right, calling out the right you know checks the line of scrimmage making sure he sees it the whole field clearer and makes his decisions a lot faster than he did last year if he does that then he's got a chance to elevate you know people around him and his own game um but it's asking a lot and i think that considering how many games he's played i think some of the expectations of of certain fans and certain takes out there is a little bit kind of premature and a little bit unfair on the guy to be fair so it's going to take him time to grow i think you're right he probably does need two seasons i think but i think he's been i think of what he needs to recognize and what other people need to recognize he's been given a really really like amazing chance not many quarterbacks kind of come in and do okay and then to do many franchises say right we're going to roll with you next season he's yeah. basically been said you will play 17 games this year unless you get hurt so that that's the that's the thing for me that you know he's been given a like a quite a rare unique opportunity here in many senses because you know Kyle Allen will come in he'll he'll do what he does and he's all right uh, but he's certainly not starting caliber quarterback in this league so I think the world's his oyster it just depends how much he's improved and and how much can he compensate for having average talent around him and how much does he grow and where does that leave the team um, the coaching staff and the record at the end of the year it'll all, it'll come out in the wash at some point. Um, as we get into January, but it's it's um, it is the biggest inflection point we've had in the, the team's history for the last you know five ten years. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that a lot to unpack with Mills there. Um, conscious There's always a lot with Mills. That's it, and the conscious of time um, as well as we're getting ready as it's Wednesday for the Sunday game. So the. One of the uh, Gareth was from Gareth Gordon again. Will our D line be the best group on the team, Graham? It was certainly the, probably the toughest cut. Obviously, trading a second round draft pick, Minnesota for a six, a six coming back, seventh going the other way. Do you think the defensive line will be? And do you think we've got multiple five plus sack guys in there? That was from back row Texans as well. Um. Well, you're going to hope that Grenard, obviously, fit to go all season because. I think in the games that he did play last season, he was he was pretty impressive. Uh, you know, in the games I certainly witnessed him playing, he looked an impressive player. Um, I'm hoping that Roy Lopez, we said earlier, I'm hoping he's one of the guys that's our second year standout. So I'm hoping there is enough guys there to get five plus. I don't know if it's more than two people on that that D-line can do it, but um, I, I I don't know if they're the best group on the team. I don't I don't yeah. know who I would say is the best group yeah. on the team. Just- no, I think it's it's probably up there. I think in terms of depth, I mean, they've certainly kept a lot of bodies. I think Okrawonko's yeah. probably got a chance to get four, five, six sacks in that range, just with speed, uh, effort, cleanup sacks alone. Uh, Jonathan Grenard, it's a lot's on his shoulders this year. You've obviously got Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison. I think... Addison's probably the, the better, just pure rusher um, out of the two, but certainly they'll make plays. Hopefully, touch with they stay healthy because they're good relief guys. Um, and then I think ultimately, do you want to get you know could Malik Collins or somebody like that? If we've got better pressure coming off the edge, get you know get some more uh, regular penetration up the middle and, and the A's and the B gaps um, between the guards and the centers and, and uh, 
the centre and the oh, sorry, the guard, the guard and the tackle. And I think that's up to ultimately where you want to be. I think because this defence, as Lovey called it, the engine, it relies upon the front four being successful and getting home. And if they don't get home, then you've got a lot of rookies in the backfield that's going to, they're going to have, you know, a lot of tests early. And I think this brings on to the next question, Graham. Jay Williams asked, do we need to sign another safety? And do you think Eric Murray is cut or traded before week eight? Now, he just had his contract uh, reworked. So it was a conversion of due salary to signing bonus. It saved him, I think, 750k. So he's now 750k more expensive to cut than he already was when they already extended him. So I'm tempted to say no. Yeah. Um, but another question that ties into that quite well is what do you think is the most or back row text and say what do you think is the most position group that makes you most nervous I would say safety yeah I, I was just going to say safety as well it's got to be yeah it makes you most nervous yeah, I think t- tight end was one. Um, I think OG Howard alleviates that a little. Um, obviously, you got Quintoriano coming back. Easy to say for some. I'm looking forward to a commentator too getting that horribly wrong at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eric Murray, I think he's now more expensive to cut. Does that mean he won't cut him? No, they did that with um, Whitney Merciless, who's a big part of that 65 million, leading the league in dead money um, figure. So, you know, Casario's not shy to cut B. I think you're asking a lot of a guy who's Jonathan Owens, who's kind of showed in small flashes he's like kind of Tavir Thomas in a way that yeah okay he's shown some good flashes but doing that over 17 games is a lot more than being a late season spot filler when expectations are low so yeah safety for me Graham I think is one of the spots that you know Jalen Petrie's going to have a lot on his shoulders early and I think he's capable of it um, but he's a slight of frame guy and he's going to be asked to do a lot you know just like how the, some of the criticism was with Justin Reid he was trying to compensate for the guys around him. And I think Jalen Petrie could, if he's not careful, get caught into that category of trying to direct traffic and be the organiser back there. Yeah, he could suffer for other folks' failures, and if you were to say it in another way. Um, but the, the, he might be slight of frame, but that's the whole that's the whole setup for Lovie Smith, wasn't it? It's to have like guys who might not be athletically big, but just faster. You know what I mean? Yeah, you want them to drive on the ball. Yeah, buzzing around the ball, doesn't he? Yeah, from from a zone coverage predominantly position. Uh, yeah. But we'll see how that changes. And I think that was Vera sent in as well. How do you think the Tampa two, um, as as uh, as one NFL commentator said, that's how a good way to annoy Lovey Smith if you call him a cover two zone team? Because I think he will change it this year. And that was Vera's question. How do you think it'll? Uh, how do you think that will change? Um, and I think that. <laughs> Bit more protected to the Colts, which will come on to, but it ties in nicely to that one. I think, yeah, I think they'll, they'll run a bit more cover three at times um, with three safeties on the field. I think there'll be an element of nickel and dime coverages that are disguised um, and roll out to others post-snap or just pre-snap from the post-snap look. Um, and I think they'll, they will try and be more, and they've got the personnel to do that this year, they'll try and be more complex because if you look at the early early runs of last season it was terrible to watch it was literally you know it was static the linebackers we've got you know hopefully Christian Harris can come in and be more athletic give us that 4-4 speed that he's got um, in the sort of intermediate level Kirksey's a weakness this system relies on quality side to side athletic linebackers and I think that's why you saw Lovey Smith was so delighted when they drafted Christian Harris because they need it badly and it was it was pretty poor at times and it got more complex as the season rolled on I think we'll hopefully see we'll have to see if this defence is it going to be 
a, a negative for this team to, to, to really kind of blend coverages, be relatively in disguise to quarterbacks. Now, that's going to be hard to do week one against Matt Ryan, etc. and some of the guys will come up against this year. But I think it will need to be more complex than it was right from the off this year because last year was too simplistic. Um, you saw that Thursday night football was one yeah. of the worst one of defensive performance I can remember for a long time, just how wide open the zones were. Uh, the, the game, the road game at Arizona last year, just nowhere near fucking good enough for this level. Yeah, so it was it was a difficult one. Um, <clears throat> but the other side of that question is what position group makes you most excited? Do you think defensive line or is there a, another one, Graham, that, uh, that you think could excel this year? I'm... I'm interested to see what the the O line. I'm excited to see how the O line has improved again. Every year seems to be a marked improvement and a marked improvement from we had a really bad O line just a couple seasons ago. You know, it was interconnected and people were were switching out and moving over and switching in, and I think that ultimately led to the demise of Matt Sharpen because he didn't know who he was on that yeah. O-line, yeah. you know, so I think if, I'm excited to see how well the O-line performs this year if they're left in the positions that, you know, like they're yeah. picked, you know, like yeah. that is their positions and that's a set position. Yeah. So you're always excited to see what you can do over the, the course of 17 games when you're allowed to get in a rhythm of playing your position. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, in an ideal world, for 17 games you have, Laramie Tunso, Kenyon Green, Justin Britt, AJ Khan, Titus Howard, and those guys play every snap. And it, but, it's, but in the real terms, there will be injuries at times. Yeah, Justin Britt has shown us that he won. I think, I think um, Scott Quisenbury, and I need to get off the three brothers right, but Scott Quisenbury on the practice squad, ready-made. Justin McCree sitting there on the depth chart. I know people make comments about that over Kenyon Green. I think Kenyon Green... Um, and that was another one of the questions from Kusi Delagamone, um asked, is Kenyon Green good to go week one? Um, there's been questions about his conditioning. And my thought, Graham, is if you don't play on week one, then trying to get a guy whose conditioning is in question, you can't put him out in Denver week two with a higher altitude because it, it's a real thing. Um, yeah, you'll be gassed. Yeah, I've experienced it myself and it really does take your breath away. It is quite <laughs> it is quite something that altitude impact. So um so I think he's gonna have to roll him out week one, unless you're basically kinda of committing to, to 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 McCray for a couple of weeks to keep the seat warm, let him get up to speed. But ultimately when you're in season mo in season mode, there's not a lot of Ex uh, opportunities to to improve your fitness, you know, you're maintaining at that point rather than, you know, unless yeah, you're doing don't. a lot of extra, you know, gassers out on the out on the playing field after everybody's hit the locker. So hopefully he's doing everything he can because you know, fifty overall pick, a premium pick at a non-premium position, uh, but it was exactly what we needed, and I think. You know, he is a again an inflection point of how well we can run the ball because there's a potential to him to be our best run blocker as a rookie, which kind of more says about any about the rest of the line. But ultimately, we need that line to come together for Mills's sake, uh, for Kenyon Green's sake, um, for 
Titus Howard's sake in terms of long term if he gets extension because he's going into his fifth year extension and yeah. he, he won't want to play on that on that fifth year next year. Um, so you know there's there's a lot riding on it I think and then AG Can's your big signing so you you want that. Does Justin Britt make it? I don't think he necessarily plays 17 games. I think he looked cooked at times last year. He's obviously a big locker room guy and that was a question from GM Fanatic. Does Jimmy Morrissey look like a starting centre? Um, I think Quisenberry, like I said, will take snaps before him. Um, okay. I think if I, I did like the acquisition of Jimmy when they, they signed him off the Raiders practice squad last year, and I highlighted some of his film. I thought it was good, but you know he was playing next to Cole Toner. He was playing next to yeah. uh, you know guys that aren't here right now. So um, he may well have it. He's back on the practice squad, which is good to see. Um, so you know he may well too. But there's definitely going to be opportunities for other people to play centre. Um, and I think, you know, that linebacker, pass rusher are probably three of our biggest needs as we go forward because you need to get those positions right. Um, you know, having a solid centre is is something that can make a huge difference. So, um, absolutely. Um, in terms of the broader outlook, Richard Hawks asked, do you think the Texans make the playoffs? Uh, no. No. Yeah, no, I don't no, think I, so. I, yeah. No, we, we've spoke about this before on message and just before we come on. It, this is a, a season of managing expectation. It's easy to get caught up in the hype, you know, that, that pre-season build-up. Um, but no, I, I don't think we make the playoffs, but I think if we improve uh, a couple wins, maybe two wins on last season, we're obviously moving in the right direction. Um, but I, I can't see it making Yeah. I think with the seven, with the extra game now, so you know your four wins a five win season, your you know your five wins a six game season. If we win six games and look good at times, and maybe there's injuries play a part, maybe there's other factors that you know mitigating uh, winning as many games you can. I think having the early bye this year is a real tough one, um, and then you're on the road to Vegas of your first five games, three of them on the road, one of them's Denver, Russell Wilson's first game, so it's a really kind of tough stretch. And then you've got that November into December game where you play Miami on the road. You play Tennessee on the uh, at home, I think, at that point, because you play them on Christmas, so they're slightly later in the pack. Uh, but then, and then you've got uh, you know Kansas City. You've got the the Deshaun return. You've got the trip up to Dallas. Um, you know, there's there's a real tough stretch of games there that you could see potentially tailspinning the season and the record. So yeah, and I think that was one Paul Lambert said best outcome winning five six games. But a growing sense of professionalism and progress is that is that success for this season? Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. If if we can if we can cast off the cloak of the last couple of seasons, um, then I think that's a, a, a huge progressive step for for the the franchise as a whole. Yeah, and we'll lead with with better professionalism. You can attract better talent. You know, they they see you as as a team on the up. Yeah. A team that they want to be a part of to help get over the next step, you know. But if you're an unprofessional outfit, who wants to come and play for you? Well, that's it. Yeah, I think there's been a reputation rebuild as well as a, as a playing staff quality rebuild as well. I think that's been a big part of it. Lovey's obviously done a huge part to to restore that. I think. Um, so week one against the call, I think you know everybody's kind of really be aligned, you know, somewhere in the region of four to six wins. Could you get seven or eight? Quite possibly. Any team can do that. You know, you just have to you get a bit of luck, the schedule falls your way, key opponents injuries, anything can happen. And that's why this league is is what it is, because there's never short of a storyline. There's always intrigue 
at every level of the season right through and when you're talking about you know the league six months out because it just keeps pumping into the news cycle and it's, it's astute at doing so um will we shock the Colts week one that was from back row Texas as well I don't know if it's going to be so much of a shock. I, I think I mentioned to you, I don't think the Colts have won their opening game for a few years. Five, yeah. Five years, yeah. not one under Frank Wright, yeah. Yeah, so if anything, the shock will be if they beat us week one with that <laughs> poor opening week record. So we could flip that to the positive and be like, look, the Colts are going to be shocked if they win their opener. Well, they lost to Jacksonville. They've got a terrible record in Jacksonville as I said at the start we were sort of 58 points differential aggregate between the two teams they put up 31 us both times couldn't handle Jonathan Taylor the guy who was infamously picked one pick after Ross Blacklock so I yeah. think yeah I mean will we sh I think you can when you go up against a team who doesn't have under their head coach a great record week one you're always better playing good teams early because you can yeah. catch people. No team truly knows or no no coaching staff truly knows how good they actually are until the live bullets start flying. And I think that's the that's the point we can catch teams. You can, you know, we're running at a new offense. We're hopefully going to have a revision of this defense in many ways. So if anybody's putting drastically different stuff on tape week one, it should be us. Um, so that gives you hope that you think you can go out and do that. But I think a question from Vera and where this game may be decided as it was when certainly in the 2020 game, uh, the infamous one where uh, Nick Martin fumbled, snapped the fumble or stumbled the, f uh, fumbled yeah. the snap rather um, yeah. on uh, right of the goal line um, when we could have gone up. Um was all part of the interior role line not holding up against Buckner, Grover Stewart. Um, you've got Ngokwe, Quetty Payne on the outside. So do, can we handle them up front from an offensive point of view? Can we handle the defensive line? That was from Vida. Graham, what do you think? Um, does, it, does this not fall back into it all depends on how good your running game is? Like, if you can make these guys go in the back heel slightly, then it gives you a chance to handle them better, you know. I know they're going to make plays for the ball every play. Like, that, that's a very tough, like, line of guys that you just, you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's a fearful roster we've got. Um, but if you can, like, in that game, when, when Nick Martin snapped that ball, there wasn't a lot of faith in the running game in that. In that season, I don't believe. Well, there hasn't been for yeah for at least the yeah, last so, two years. So, so you know, those guys, you know, the the ears are up. The last play of the game, they know they can get after us. But if you can establish your run game in this this season and this game against them, you know that that always puts guys on the back foot. To me, you always see defenses being that little bit that little bit slower and getting there. So, I'm hoping. That we can't handle them, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't. Yeah, no, that, that. yeah. I think I think the the injury or the potential omission of uh, Darius or now Shaquille Leonard, I think, is a big one. Um, there's a big uh, kind of underrated storyline. I think he's moving um, into the the Mike linebacker spot when he was out on the in the edge of the three. Um, so that's a role change for him. 
I think there's a there's got to be, as you said, I think you're spot on, Graham. The run game's got to keep defenses honest because yeah. if they just sit back and you can't run five on four up front, um, yeah. then you're in a position where you become predictable. So yeah, the balance of the offense, particularly against dominant fronts. You know, we talked about the 49ers last year. We couldn't run it. Um, not been able to run it at all for the last two years. So it's just such a big storyline. I think based on what you've seen in preseason. Just in terms of what these guys are being asked to do, I think it's a lot simpler. I think he said that Sharpen probably ruined his career by that scheme because it was too complex. There was just a lack of clarity, I think, on roles. It's on certain plays or there was too many options for people. I think running this sort of predominantly power um, scheme, that you know, they, they showed a lot of kind of dual plays, sort of two double teams up front. If they can go and dominate and assert their will, um, on another defensive line in part not every down but yeah it's going to balance out this offence incredibly to a point that it will make it feasible um, to to you you want them to come down and try and stop the run and f- fill the box take a safety down into the box and then that opens up your passing game so you know they work in unison um, but I think the short to intermediate passing game has got to be gotta, that's got to keep them honest you want to try and Get you know their athletic linebackers. It's a quality squad the Colts have built, uh, but yeah, you hope you can catch them cold. I think the biggest question, another one from Vera, and we'll finish up with this one pretty much. Graham is, uh, can they keep a lid on Jonathan Taylor? Because he ran it all over them last year. Yeah, he ran. He ran all over us. I remember being at the game last year at home, um, and it was a massacre, really. So. Uh, the, the chances of completely hushing him down are very slim. You know, he's just too good a back, isn't he? I, I think we'll agree on that. Um, yeah, he's always going to get some. Yeah, he's, he's it's just limiting how much he, you know, how many yards he gets to have. So it's going to be very hard to keep as much of a lid on him. I, I, I don't know what we're even going to limit him to. I, would, I, would, I could even hazard a guess he probably will get 100 yards. Yeah, I think there's is there not a stat there that the team that keeps the other team under a hundred yards rushing is is like a seventy percent win rate or something. So yeah, that's like kind of the magic kind of line that you want to be under. I th- is that possible with a back and a line? Obviously, left tackle is a weak spot. I think you can get after them at left tackle, but yeah, can we be stout against the runs? I always remember that Cleveland game. Don't get me wrong, Cleveland with that line pretty sailed. A couple of changes this year, and we'll see that week thirteen with the return of Deshaun, but. They just absolutely just dominated us man for man. I think one of the things that you have picked up on the preseason is this is a much more physical, better tackling football team. Now they'll have to be incredibly disciplined because they're going to have to make up for the lack of game records. We don't have a, a Buckner. Um, you know, we don't, you know, thankfully there's no T.Y. Hilton or anything that's kind of haunted us over the years. Um, can, you know, can Derek Stingley insert himself against, you know, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell? Pittman, etc. Can we win that battle? There's a lot of battles out there, and I think you can. I'm always cautious doing too much predictions because you can sit and get into the tr- into the the weeds about predictions. And this, you know, th- this league and these games go off in a very unexpected direction. I think so. I think I, I have a sense that we can do it. Um, often when I support two teams of different sports on one day, seldom do they both win. Um, but I'm, I've got a feeling that. We, we can maybe get a result on Sunday. But it's going to be good, I think, Graham, of just a, a general s- sense of progress, development of young players and showing a clear path forward that we didn't have last year. 
it feels like a breath of fresh air almost to me watching it. I'm not dreading the games. I think, and at times last year I was dreading them when it came when Sunday rolled around. And you know, you wait the off season, you be you, you long for it to come back. You want to sort of celebrate, you know, the Sundays, and it's a bit of a ritual for people. If you're at the tailgate, if you're listening to this, and you're driving to somewhere before the game, if you're driving to the game, you're listening to this. It's good to have it back. And I know they've sold sixty thousand tickets this year. Uh, there's definitely, you know, an, a, a raft of tickets that they were sort of discounting. There was kind of deals and stuff that they were doing to try and engage people. So hopefully the in-stadium experience will be better because, you know, you and I were both at the Jets game last year and it was like a funeral. It was not a good game. Um, there was no atmosphere, etc. So, you know, you want that to you want that to try and be a, an element. And Lovey's been a big part of that. The franchise, the ownership, everything, there's been a lot of engagement. So hopefully, even if the results aren't there this year, if there's a more unified front between the club and the fans and players working well, I don't know how long Lovey will be. He'll definitely be here next year. But long as there's enough progress and enough stability around Davis Mills to get an assessment of what he truly is. So there's no doubt because people are going to have small sample sizes, extrapolating, proclaiming loads of things. It just isn't realistic based on the data set we've got. But I think of all the things, if, you, if we see Unity, Graham, and then we see a clear assessment on Davis Mills, I think it will be a, a positive season. Yeah. Totally agree. And you're going to a couple of games, or you're going to a number of games this year, you're making uh, the trip? Yeah, well, so far I've got uh, Raiders away, booked. And Vegas, uh, nice. Right. Titans. On that. Yeah, Titans, then Eagles. Right. The Thursday that's, has, all, yeah, that's, prime all, time. that's all set. Yeah, prime prime time Thursday night's always yeah. It's not yeah, it's not quite a Sunday night, but it's um yeah, games under the lights, they've got a different feel with them. So yeah, I think they're they've loaded up that roster this year. So I think they went from the start of the off season to kind of feeling like a winnable game to one that I'm probably less confident on now. Um and that's a kind of stretch with Washington either side that you kinda of hoped they could maybe pick up some momentum before we go into that sort of kind of really sort of grueling six, seven game stretch at the yeah. back end. But but um, but yeah. No well, that's what you said. You said it earlier on. Like there, there's a stretch after the bye that's a really tough stretch for us. And like you said, Raiders away, but then we've got Tennessee at, at home, then Philadelphia on a short week, and so we'll have been battered about by Henry, and then we've got this this barely uh, improved Philadelphia Eagles squad coming in. You know, that's going to be a real tough, tough yeah. uh, three game stretch. That one alone. Yeah, I think if you can get to the bye with two wins, um, that will be a reasonable start. If you go two and three at the bye, don't know what the Raiders will be this year, but I think you know going on the road's always difficult. Um, and then you've got the Washington game at home, and then ultimately I think a big a big thing of how this can swing the season if Jacksonville pull it together. Um, I think that you know that that could potentially knock us down a few pegs if they can. If Doug Peterson can't pull that together, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, who didn't do anywhere else apart from under him, and he got the best out of him. So you'd think with a raw talent level, he can get more out of Trevor Lawrence. And then I think the Titans have got some holes. I think you know time's going to catch up with Derek Henry at some point. Yeah. This might be it. He lot missed time last year, the most he's missed in his career till this point. You know Harold Landry was their best pass rusher, I think, arguably out for the season with ACL. There's a lot of holes in the roster. Tannehill's not been the same since he lost his offensive coordinator taking the, the Atlanta Falcons job. So, you know, there's a, a lot of change in the division. I think the Colts are potentially the cream or, or, the, or the top of the class. So we will find out a lot about ourselves, hopefully on week one, and hopefully we come yeah. with a win and we're sitting here next week 
talking one and all. But uh, Graham, thank you very much for joining. We whistled through those questions reasonably quickly, but um, enjoy the season, mate. I'm sure we'll be speaking plenty. Um, yeah. Good to have football back, but thanks for your time. No, thanks for having us on again. And yeah, look forward to conversing all through the season with you. Yeah, that's it. Hopefully, it'll certainly feel like it's uh, it's going to be worthwhile and it's something to be involved with this year because it's not been like that for the last two years. But thanks, everybody, again, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for sending their questions in. Great to kind of go through some alternative content rather than trying to set the agenda. It's been pretty fixed, but we'll have answers. We'll have live tape. We'll have live games. We'll have live results to and what is everybody's judged on this in this league it's a results business and see where this team is heading but thanks again for listening check out the website podcasttextings.com we'll have a game report up there on Monday back out with the podcast on Monday give us a like share Facebook if you've not if you've got somebody that supports the Texans and they don't listen just give it to one person ping it on that's all I ask hopefully try and grow this, this season but thanks again for listening and hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about a 1-0 Texans team but thanks again for listening and speak to you next week 